Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Fertility in Focus podcast. I'm your host, Christina Burns. I'm a doctor of natural medicine specializing in the treatment of infertility by a natural and integrative methods. I founded the Naterna Institute in New York City, where my team and I work with women and couples, often in collaboration with Western medical doctors, to guide the path to healthy conception. In this podcast, you'll learn all about your body and everything in the fertility landscape to help you realize your dream of baby. I'll be bringing you the best of advice from experts in the fields of both natural and conventional medicine, as well as the heartfelt and very helpful stories of brave fertility heroes on their path to baby. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining. Today is a opportunity to dive into fertility nutrition, which is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. And I feel like it's a major determining factor in fertility outcomes and it's given so little attention. So I wanted to take this session to dive into an important topic. And a lot of people have trouble understanding, you know, what to do in this area. And that is the area of protein types and quantity for fertility. So there's a lot of noise around protein and whether or not to eat animal sources of protein for fertility, because we've seen that there are studies that show that endometriosis, for example, is made worse by consumption of red meat and even an ovulation can be affected by a lot of meat. And interestingly enough, it's not just red meat. Chicken actually was found to be worse than red meat. Uh, like it was like 30% uh, greater risk of interference of ovulation consuming uh, a serving of red meat. Oh, sorry, 40%. And then it was um, 50% with chicken. And I know a lot of people are avoiding eating red meat and instead eating a ton of chicken. And now with this new piece of information, you might be thinking twice about that. So animal protein increases the levels of a growth hormone called IGF-1, which is linked not only to infertility, but also to cancer. Um, it's been shown to exacerbate conditions like endometriosis and fibroids, bad periods, um, linked with anovulatory infertility and diabetes, insulin resistance, PCOS. <laughs> so I, I imagine hearing this, you're kind of like, oh God, I ha- do I have to turn into a vegetarian or vegan to become pregnant? And the answer is no, that is not at all my opinion. I just wanted to lead with some of the more shocking tidbits of information. And then, you know, I'll come back at you with with some surprising sort of other findings and and my personal clinical experience and opinion. Conventional meat, meat in general, is packed with sex steroid hormones. I would argue that conventional meat is the worst because sometimes the animals are pumped full of hormones. And they're also full of stress hormones because of the way they die. I long, long time ago was a vegan and I went down a rabbit hole of learning about, you know, the sort of like inhumane practices and learned even more about, you know, what you'll find in the meat in terms of, yeah, like the stress hormones, like the suffering that the animal went through. So in this day and age, I really encourage consuming animal foods from ethically sourced places and farms. But again, we'll, we'll get more into this. One little scary thing about it being packed with sex steroid hormones is the like offspring we're, were also affected. It wasn't just like the mother or her fertility. If they became pregnant, the son's genitals while in the womb 
were affected and potentially might have an effect on long-term fertility so of their of their offspring which is that's you know that's considerable now on the flip side uh, there are also studies that show that women went, who went on a vegetarian diet stopped ovulating. I've seen this. Um, uh, I, that there's also the issue that women on a vegetarian or vegan diet become anemic, um, lacking B12 and iron, and majorly increase the risk of macro and micronutrient deficiencies. So you really have to be like super thoughtful and disciplined about getting nutrition from like the like good balance of nutrients when you're a vegetarian because you can get a lot of nutrients in a tiny serving of animal protein. Um, whereas you'd have to eat like sort of a mountain of vegetables to get the same amount of stuff. So I'm not telling you to be a vegetarian or not be a vegetarian. I'm just kind of stating fact. So, so from an Eastern medicine perspective, you will generally hear an Eastern medicine practitioner tell you to eat meat. And this is because we believe not only in the nutritional profile of the food, but we believe in the energetics of the food. We will get right back to today's episode in just a sec, but I didn't want to miss the opportunity to tell you about an exciting new project that I have underway. So here it is. I get a lot of questions about what to eat and avoid when trying to get pregnant. Since so many of you are interested in optimizing your fertility via nutrition, I've created a very special course that teaches you the ins and outs of just that. It hasn't launched yet, but keep your eyes and ears peeled for my course on fertility nutrition. Whether you are already undergoing IVF or just trying the old-fashioned way, my goal is to help give you all the nutritional tools you need to enhance your fertility and speed your path to baby. All right, let's jump back in. So... In Eastern medicine, animal foods nourish the blood deeply. And so when we're thinking about like anemia, for example, or B12 deficiency, like micronutrient deficiencies, like, okay, like a meat stew or a meat broth or a bone broth can really supplement that very well. And it takes such tiny, tiny amounts. What's probably become the more, the bigger issue with disease related to meat consumption is the quantities that we consume and the quality that we can consume, that we do consume. But back to food energetics for a second. So, so we believe that it can nourish the blood, which will help with things like ovulation and implantation. And we also believe that meat has a warming energy that plants don't have. And we are trying to create a warming environment um, for conception. Um, sort of like progesterone does. Uh, so, so the energetics of the food matter. And in, in my findings, plant foods are great for cleansing the body, which is why a vegan diet is great for cancer, for example, or for you know, a seasonal cleanse, uh, for losing weight, for example, for uh, heart disease, for diabetes, is because plant diets clean the body. And there are some cases where infertility is as a result of excesses, in which case a plant-based diet could be helpful. But um, I'm seeing in a lot of cases that some of the infertility that I'm seeing or subfertility that I'm seeing is like blood sugar imbalances and anemia. And, and then I'm looking at, you know, integrating a little bit of animal food. So it's case specific, but I think, you know, hopefully by the end of this podcast, you'll have a direction to go in. Okay, so like, let's first dive into the top sources of protein. Beef is most consumed in, in the West, chicken, pork, fish, and beans the least. 
Uh, I mean, this would change if you looked at like the Indian population, for example, Hindu being mostly vegetarian. Once consumed, our bodies break down protein into molecules referred to as amino acids. And our body can actually produce 13 out of the 20 amino acids, but we do have to eat the other ones from food. And they are our building blocks uh, for hormones, for example, and for eggs and sperm. And so they're pretty essential. Uh, on the topic of amino acids, uh, you may have heard the argument between like complete or incomplete proteins, animal sourced foods being the complete proteins and plant-based proteins. You need to kind of combine them to be a complete source. But overall, it actually can be okay as long as you're eating a balanced diet. So as I said, these are structural building blocks for sperm and eggs, and for every major cell in our bodies, including our red blood cells and our immune cells. And they fuel the body's energy needs and help us to recover from stress, from injury, from exercise, for example. So they're pretty important for a lot of mechanisms. I also find that in a population of like high output people, and that doesn't mean just actually exercise, that means like high mental output this is this is like this macronutrient is important it's grounding it nourishes it keeps the blood sugar and insulin stable as long as you're eating well sourced ones cuz as i mentioned earlier diabetes can be made worse by meat consumption so it, you really have to look at the person their profile the amount and quality of what's being eaten and and sort of adjust the diet accordingly how much protein should we be eating General rule, 7 grams of protein for every 20 pounds of body weight, and that's about 50 grams of protein per day for somebody who's 140 pounds. For a quick reference, 50 grams of protein is equivalent to one large chicken breast, um, which I don't recommend eating based on <laughs> what I mentioned earlier in the podcast about chicken not being the best source, has arachidonic acid, which can be pretty inflammatory. Um, and also muscle meat just like doesn't have a lot of the other nutrients, it's like pure protein, um, which has become very much a fad in our society that we want to eat like just like pure protein. But, you know, eating animal sources or even beans or whatever, like we're looking for a plethora of nutrients that work together. It's, it's sort of like how like plant medicine works, like versus like a vitamin or a pharmaceutical. A plant medicine still has lots of chemical constituents that make change in your physiology rather than one isolated um, nutrient, which can also be beneficial. But sometimes the way that a whole food or a plant can work with our body it can be superior in a way because it can interact with our body in different ways for us to get the benefit from it. Protein content of various foods, ground beef has a lot, chicken has a lot, chickpeas, eggs, lentils don't have as much, tuna, turkey, and salmon still are pretty high, like, like 20 grams of protein per like, you know, three ounce serving. You have to eat a lot more of plant proteins to get like the, the same amount. So for example, like lentils, you have to eat a whole cup to get 17 grams or chickpeas, a whole cup is 14 grams. Whereas like a small amount of chicken or fish will be 20 grams. A hard boiled egg, people think that this is actually quite a bit of protein and it really only is about six grams of protein for a large egg. And if you need 50 a day, that's, that's like you'd have to be eating a lot of eggs. So protein Intake should be between about 10 to 35% of your total caloric intake. That's a lot. So that would be around like three to four servings per day. And that's, again, not animal protein. That's like a kind of a mix of animal and plant proteins. 
With that said, researchers from Harvard have discovered that women who eat more protein have higher risk of ovulatory infertility, and that's what I was referring to before. So more is not better. And I get asked a lot about like keto diets, for example, and I'm, I'm honestly not the biggest fan. I just don't think it's a very balanced diet, but, I'm, but I, I'm sure it does have some benefits and it may be of benefit in the short term, just as a long-term strategy, you're, you're going to become deficient of, of certain things. In Eastern medicine, we also say that slow-cooked plant foods are, are very good for nourishing the digestive system. And uh, slow-cooked animal foods are really good for the reproductive system. Those two things together can really impact your fertility positively, you know, if you're, if you're integrating this kind of thing. Some protein-rich foods contain health-promoting nutrients like vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and fiber, while other protein-rich foods contain potentially harmful components like cholesterol-saturated fats and nitrites. So the not-so-good options, bacon, salami, these kind of nitrite-filled, preservative-filled, sodium-filled, preserved meat options, ground beef or beef high, like high-fat content uh, beef is, has got a lot of saturated fat, not ideal. From an Eastern medicine perspective, we also look at how something is cooked. So if something is charred on the barbecue, um, well, this is actually shown in, in Western dietetics too, then the carcinogens, like the inflammatory carcinogens, go up substantially. Uh, and, and that can really affect reproductive and overall health. Whereas if something is cooked slowly in a stew or a soup, uh, that's a completely different ballgame. So I'm always counseling my patients who I, I think are a little bit inflamed or dealing with inflammation to eat more water cooking methods and less um, sort of like charring, grilling, like anything that blackens is not ideal or anything that's cooked at a really high temperature. Even broiling I don't love, even though it's done in the oven. I'd prefer something be like slow baked, um, but but preferably water cooking methods overall are are the way to go in my opinion. In addition to various nutritional components contained within given proteins, some protein sources contain environmental contaminants, pesticides, heavy metals, um, persistent organic pollutants, which obviously would have a negative impact on reproductive health. So what do you eat? What to eat? My personal opinion and my training and my observation is that people who eat a varied diet do quite well. And those who eat small portions of animal foods do quite well. Uh, so I mentioned that I have a lot of patients that are sort of subclinically anemic, like borderlines, so that I want them eating a little bit of red meat. But do they need to eat beef? No. Like they could eat venison, which is super high in iron, for example, and a lot lower in acid and saturated fat. Or bison. Um, little bits of lamb are really helpful. And you really don't have to eat much. Like it could be like little shreds in a soup kind of thing. Like it's not um, something that needs to be consumed in high quantity. And in fact, it, it'll adversely affect you if it is. Uh, I had one patient uh, who I told her, you know, consuming a little bit of game meat would be great. And so she started eating like huge bison steaks um, and then had a transfer that failed. And, I, and then we chatted through it and I was like, oh, oh, okay, I think we're going a little overboard. So we, we peeled it back into a much smaller portion less frequently and the next transfer was successful. So, so keep that in mind. It's like the quantity matters so much. The way that it cooked matters. The quality of where it's sourced matters. Um, like I, I cringe when I see grocery store meat that's just like, you know, like, like don't know what farm it's come from. 
it doesn't say anything about being grass-fed, organic, anything. I'm like, oh, no. Like, this is not getting consumed. So, so you know, it's one thing if you are in a situation where you don't have a choice, but if you're doing groceries or involved in groceries and you have a choice of where you're getting this stuff, then choose wisely. It also doesn't have to be that expensive. I know that's kind of a myth. It just, it just is a bit more inconvenient. Like, you have to give thought and be mindful of where you're um, getting these things from. You can't just get them from any old grocery store. You have to like know the places to go, whether it's online or to the farmer's market or whatever. So it, it takes more effort. And, and I know sometimes with all that you're dealing with in your lives, you don't really want to deal with more effort, but it pays dividends. So, you know, maybe think about, maybe think about it because it can, it could shorten, can shorten the duration of you trying to get pregnant. Another thing to consider is, you know, I'm sure you hear so much about the Mediterranean diet and how beneficial that can be for fertility. And it has been shown in some studies, one with women undergoing IVF, that demonstrated that fish consumption had a positive impact on, on embryo formation at day five. So like better quality blastocysts, whereas red meat was uh, like reduced the uh, day five embryo formation. So the one thing we have to consider, or a couple things we have to consider with fish is like, we don't want to consume the big ones a lot, like tuna, swordfish, for example. Um, and we want to consume like the littler ones like trout and Spanish mackerel and salmon's not small, but it doesn't have high heavy metals and sole, for example. So these are, these are some of the fish that you could consume. I would say definitely no more than twice a week is adequate because it's got a ton of protein. You get your omega fats, like get some good natural sourced ones, sometimes some, um, some vitamin D also. And you know, you're ticking this box for, for the Mediterranean diet for the fertility food, but then you're not worried about being overloaded with uh, heavy metals. You also really um, want to avoid um, doing farmed fish for the most part, because we're looking at PCBs and dioxins and just like in a natural environment for these um, creatures to grow for, for whatever reason, um, besides the contaminants, uh, can cannot positively impact our health. So wild fish when possible, and, and that can include lake fish too. Dairy is a source of protein. I get asked about this too. It's not my favorite. If you're going to consume dairy, and more, mostly just because it's, it's more of an inflammatory food, we, we have a lot of lactose intolerance that's undiagnosed in this culture, and it can just create a lot of extra inflammation and um, immune responses, which we don't really need when we're trying to conceive. And But if you're going to consume it, consume full fat and consume small amounts of it. So to sum everything up, get more protein from plants, like 25 to 50% of daily intake if possible, but consume some animal protein too if you're not ethically adverse to it. I would say at least like three times a week, maybe, and, and it doesn't have to be like three, four, five ounces, it could be like one ounce. Uh, I love the slow cooking methods, really from an Eastern um, traditional method, it's great. And also if you just think about it, like if you slow cook things, it's easier to digest them. And one of the biggest reasons why meat might be causing more inflammation is because it passes through the digestive system so slowly and just kind of sits. And you know, with us, with our fast paced lifestyle, go, 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 we're not in rest and digest mode. We're not producing a good amount of digestive enzymes. And so we can't, we don't have like the digestive force to digest the meat and, and we're eating huge hunks of it. It's, all, it's a disaster. So chew your food. 
if you're not going to chew your food, slow cook your food, but slow cook your food anyway, just because it's a great way to draw all the nutrition out. And as, as we know, if we cook on the bone, it's going to be better tasting and there's going to be the additional nutrients from that. Do not leave broth too long. Don't leave it even too long in your fridge. We're looking at that being a high histamine food, which will then cause inflammation in different ways. So it's, it's, it's kind of a juggle here. When you eat land-based animal protein, choose from good sources, farms, for example, or at least the health food store and look for farm meat in the freezer. Um, like it'll be from like small farms. There'll be weird meats like venison, which is deer and bison and lamb and things like that. Just like some variety besides pork and beef, which tend to be the more inflammatory types. Overall, the deal is that plant-based diets are great for cleaning the body Animal-based proteins can be good for warming and quickly nourishing and nutrifying the body. And so I do recommend incorporating them. And the most important of all is to eat a varied diet so that you're getting different profiles of nutrients in different ways from different sources and that you're not worried about building an immune response to something because you eat it all the time. Hope this was helpful. I'm really happy you've tuned in and joined the community. And I'm so excited to bring you more helpful content with each episode. In order to make this podcast as helpful as possible, I want to hear your input on what questions you need answered to get you feeling empowered on your fertility journey. You can DM me on Instagram at at Naturna underscore life to share your most important fertility related questions. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please follow and share with friends. My mission is to help as many women and couples as possible. And for that, I need your help. Yours as always in love and light, Dr. Christina.